This is it? That's it. Oh, good grief. I carry this around for a while. I can give up my exercise classes. Uh, why don't you give them up anyway? I think you look terrific, Dr. Marks. Oh, there are those who believe that life here began out there. We can rebuild him. Hercules Atlas. These are their stories. Autopilot with Scott Johnson and Tom Merritt. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Autopilot. Oh, looky here. It's season three, episode 10. My name is Scott. I could l- totally lift that car, Johnson. And that guy over there is Tom. These bell bottoms are not nearly wide enough for my ego merit. <laughs> That's me. Sticking my head up your pants. Wait, what? Nice edit there, by the way. The, oh, yeah. You saw it. You Perfectly done. Good. Yeah. I, I think that mine was nowhere near as good as that. So nice job. Just two words. Just yeah. two words. Uh, well, welcome back, everybody. We are deep into season three, and we hope you're enjoying the program. Uh, we jump into something pretty mainstream this week. With the Incredible Hulk, Tom. Uh, it's you all hear about that, Lisa. <laughs> yeah. We did. We take your feedback, folks. We do. Uh, it's a series premiere of a uh, basically it's a movie, TV movie, the same name, which aired November fourth, nineteen seventy seven, on CBS. Written and directed by Kenneth Johnsob. I bet it's Johnson. Johnson. That's a, and another edit fails. Johnsob. Uh, let's smash was- straight into the introduction because holy crap. We're doing the Hulk today, guys. The Hulk. Why don't you bring them in while I go buy a donut? Why don't I go bring them in while you go buy a donut? All right. Donuts for everybody. <laughs> I love that we have two of the like most borderline sexist clips yep. so far yep. uh, leading up the show in here. Uh, Dr. David Banner. You know him. What, wait, David? Oh, wait. We'll what? Not Bruce? Hold yeah. on. Where are no, we? This what is, is David. this? Okay. Yeah, we'll, we'll clear this up later. All he right. is a widowed physician and scientist. Uh, presumed dead by the end of this episode. Secretly, in the series, he travels across the U.S., cleverly hiding under the name David with a last name that always begins with B. What? Don't make him angry, or he'll transform into a huge, incredibly strong green creature Marvel fans know and love as the Hulk. Oh. I love that guy. Give him a big old hug. He often finds his power comes in handy for people in trouble, and Banner earns money by working temporary jobs while searching for a way to control his condition. He's also that guy that, you know, end of the every episode, he's got a backpack, he's got a hoodie on, and the music kicks in. And he's walking the earth. I love it, man. It's like Bigfoot. All right, let's review the evidence from behind the scenes. Yes, you did, Mom. Tell him. <laughs> well, BJ, I don't know. I, d- I don't know exactly how it happened. The fire was spreading, and I do know that it was going to explode real soon. Real soon. Uh, you know, I just got to make a comment right here. I forgot yeah. how much this show was about how little Bill Bigsby could lift. Like, at the core of the story, of the overarching every episode, it's... I wish I could lift more when I was normal and that reporter won't leave me alone. That's essentially yeah. the theme. Right. Through the entirety Man, of this coffee life. cup is heavy. <laughs> <laughs> I just think that's a hoot. Uh, Universal Television purchased the rights to several Marvel characters. Uh, Johnson, not John Sob. Johnson was inspired <laughs> to take on the uh, Hulk after reading Les Miserables, or as I like to say, Les Miserables. Isn't that weird? Mm. Yeah, that, that is a little bit like- weird, isn't it? 
I don't want to take on any of these characters. Oh, wait, Le Miserable. That's like the Hulk, I guess. I don't I guess see the connection there. I really don't. Monster? I, I don't know. I don't. Yeah. I, it's more Frankenstein to me. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and there was even a very Frankensteinian moment, as I hate to say it, probably, in the middle of this thing. Jack McGee uh, was modeled after Javert. I never... Is, is it Javert? I don't... Dude, French. Isn't that Russell Crowe? Is it Russell the- Crowe? think uh who was it in the liam neeson one which i actually quite liked uh oh i don't, I don't remember that that's one. a good one. i mean I, I remember i don't remember who played you there that was a really good one i think you're right though i think that was russell crowe uh bruce banner from the comic books was changed to david banner uh johnson said it was to distance itself from being a comic book uh kind of hokey comic book name uh or being too comic book hooky is a better way of saying it ferrigno lou ferrigno comic bookie again yeah. i can't type okay i like hooky hooky's great we're gonna play a little comic hooky <laughs> Uh, Lou Ferrigno played the Hulk claims exec said the name Bruce Banner was too this is his quote a quote yeah. too gayish unquote and this was if I if I remember right Tom during our childhood and growing up and in our teens that was the story if if you talked about the Incredible Hulk and why his name wasn't Bruce anymore it was universally accepted at least around where I lived grew up talked and went to school that it was because the name Bruce sounded too gay. But, yeah, Bruce Jenner yeah. was a decathlete cover of the Wheaties box. Right. My dogs agree that this right. is ridiculous. <laughs> they are upset about this point. <laughs> yeah, no, there are plenty of Bruce's you could look at. Bruce Lee, uh, yes. Bruce Jenner, Bruce Valanche. Wait, that's, let me go back. Don't do Bruce Valanche. That supports the other side. Good night, Bruce. How are you, Bruce? <laughs> Mind if I call you Bruce? Like tough guy. I love, by the way, that's one of my favorite Monty Python sketches. I just, yeah, that. I just do not understand that that was, but apparently that was the way. And Lou Ferrigno even said later on, like, this is ridiculous. Why would they? I don't understand. Yeah, that's a little bit strange. Bruce became the middle name of David Banner. So he became David Bruce Banner. In the comics, his full name is Robert Bruce Banner. And uh, that's not the allusion to Robert the Bruce, the Scottish. Oh, oh, maybe. Oh, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Um, You know, whatever. There's so many other things that change that it's it's difficult for me to get too worked up about the name. But like our our Wonder Woman pilot that we covered uh, earlier this season, first episode actually. uh, It's this. It's a similar deal. It's this is a weird rights holding. We're going to change a bunch of stuff. It's not going to really be the comic book hero you're familiar with. It's going to be a TV version of that. Whereas today, this stuff happens, you know, pretty straight up. Like when that Daredevil thing comes to Netflix, I guarantee you, Tom, that that will be freaking Daredevil with a couple of D's on his chest and horns and he'll be blind. I mean, they're not going to mess around and change his name to Phil. I think, yeah, I hope not. I I don't think The difference, I think the difference is in 1977, you're still coming out of the era when comic books are kids things. And, you know, the violence of comics and all of that sort of stuff is still kind of fresh in everybody's memory. Yeah. And today, comic books are universal. Yep. I, and, so, and so the idea is like, well, let's deliver on the comic book. Back then it was like, eh, it's an interesting story in the comic book, but that's, that's, that's for a small slice. If we want to appeal to a broad audience, we have to change things. Yeah, this is for kids. And, they, and they, I, to their credit, they wrote a relatively adult drama here that uh, had a lot of adult themes in it throughout the uh, run of the series. Uh, Johnson also wanted to make the Hulk red, the color of anger. That's the color I think of when I think of anger. Well, yeah, because you get all red face. Yeah. Right? Uh, and a normal human color, but Stan Lee would not allow it. Uh, I don't know how much power Stan Lee had at the time, but most of the rumors I ever heard was that he had very little control over this stuff. Yeah, so who knows? I think he, he basically talked him out of it. Not, yeah. not so much 
he probably said, I won't allow it. And they're like, oh, we'll give him this one. Yeah. The, the great irony is the Red Hulk is a fantastic uh, yeah. spin that is currently a comic thing. So there is a Red Hulk now. And they, they were perhaps ahead of their time. Who knew? Perhaps they were. Uh, you know, Arnold yeah. Schwarzenegger auditioned for that role. What? Shut up. Really? Yeah. All the bodybuilders lined up on a Saturday and they got in the casting line. What happened? And you know there? why they they rejected him? Why? You know why he didn't get the part? Why? Too, too short. What? <clears throat> Hold on. Can't now. be the Hulk. It's too short. Okay. Now, if you, if you had asked me a week ago and said... Schwarzenegger and uh, Zippy over there, uh, uh, Lou Ferrigno, Ferrigno, were which one's taller? I'd have said Schwarzenegger. Yeah, I, I would have been wrong. He's larger than life, Scott. Mm, I guess. I guess so. He's been governor now. <laughs> Uh, and actually, Frigno wasn't the first one to get it. Actor Rick, Rick Richard Keel was originally hired, and they shot with him. But when they were they were looking at the the still, you know, looking at the returns, looking at the films. Uh, he was too skinny. He's They're, Jaws it, in the Bond movies, right? In fact, Johnson's kid was on the set and was like. Yeah, it can't be the whole dad. You oh, just wait. You're kidding. Yeah. Wow. Him and Stan so Lee calling the shots. If you look closely, and I could barely tell if I was even looking at the right shot, there's one shot of him in the pilot still mm. in a high angle scene where he looks up at a tree where it's actually still Richard Keel mm. in the green stuff. And you can kind of tell. Oh, that man. And now I kind of want to see that again because I'm a, I'm a big Richard Keel fan. He's, for those not in the know, he's, the, he's Jaws from the James Bond films. Mm -hmm. I met him at. Uh, a Star Trek convention in Vegas. Oh, did you? Yeah, he was so nice. He was the biggest nice. lurching man I've ever met, but just so kind and seemed very sweet. And he's he does the convention circuit a lot now. If you see Richard Hatch, Battlestar Galactica's Richard Hatch anywhere nearby, chances are uh, he's sharing a table with, with, Richard, uh, Keel. with Richard Keel. It's pretty weird. Huh. Anyway. Hey, uh, Europeans in the audience may be upset right now because they're like, I thought autopilot was about television pilots, but I remember seeing this in the theater because mm. uh, some countries in Europe, they did that. Remember we talked about that with Battlestar Galactica? Yeah. Same thing. They they distributed this pilot movie in theaters in Europe. Buck Rogers also, right? Didn't that happen? Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Something yeah. like that. That's uh, cool. Return of the Incredible Hulk was a second pilot movie that aired November 27th and was later renamed Death in the Family and turned into a two-parter when it was put out into the uh, into the syndication. Weird. And this is the first series I am aware of that led to a syndicated newspaper strip that actually came, that spawned from the show, not the other way around? Yeah. Yeah, that, they, they, they made an incredible whole comic strip in the papers. If people remember the little three or four panel comic strips, some of them still exist out there. From 1978 to 1982, actually had a, had a run right along with the show. That's crazy to me. Um, all right, well, let's dip our feet into what we like to call weird facts. You know, my mother always used to tell me getting angry doesn't help. Well, I always liked your mother. <laughs> it's the same philosophy he used when he directed all those episodes of uh, Blossom in the 80s. Uh, yeah. Small fun fact for folks out there. Uh, Don't get angry at Blossom. No, not uh, never. The we uh, the uh, excuse me the show went off uh, CBS in '82 with a cliffhanger, and I remember this. I remember being in cliffhanger. I remember being disappointed that I never felt like there was much in the way of resolution for that cliffhanger. I uh, remember watching it and th not realizing it had gone off the air, and then going like, well, "Where? What, what happened? Where are the other episodes? Where's my show? Right? They never came. Yeah. One, one well, they did. But. One cannot subsist on uh, Hasselhoff alone. Where's my? By the time they hole? came, I was a senior in high school and much too sophisticated <laughs> for incredible hole. I was into cars and girls at that point, so it didn't matter anymore. Uh, in 1988, NBC aired the first uh, three uh, made-for-TV movies. There were three of these things uh, with the Incredible Hulk Returns. The botched atomic testing that originated the comic book Hulk was changed to a lab mishap to make it more believable. 
know. I don't know about that. In in, in the pilot, we're back to talking. about We're the back pilot. to the pilot. Yeah, yeah. he looked so more like a of, weird dental chair to me. It didn't look like a. I don't know what that was. I guess it kind of worked, and I understand why they might have said, "Look, we need a different way." to get we need a more budget television budget friendly way than a big atomic blast uh although it can't have been that hard no but it, it, in some ways it was more believable mm-hmm. I I, well i mean the comic book yes and marvel stuff is in in specific tends to have pretty outlandish scientific reasons things happen to people their origin stories or otherwise uh villains come from really stupid ideas and uh i this may have seemed too stupid on the page to them like gamma radiation well, from a big you know Okay, I mean, it is silly to think like, oh, he's got a big thing pointed at him uh, and it turns him into the Hulk. But how much sillier is it like, oh, he was in an atomic blast and survived? Completely agree. Yeah. The other one is just such a pose. It's such a Cold War origin yeah. story that and there were well, plenty we're of those. In the Cold War in 77. Sure so. were. Yeah. In the yeah. thick of it. And there were plenty of these. So the, the Hulk is certainly not the first, but. I feel like we're just, you know, we now live in a time where you can do this and do it the way the comic book said it and people buy it. They're okay with the fantasy. Back then, very skittish about such things, which we talked about before. Uh, Banner also went from a nuclear physicist to, uh, in the comic, to a medical researcher in this. Seemed to be studying, his entire career seemed to be focused on adrenaline and uh, how people are able to muster strange strength under duress. Like if a car flips over and you got to save somebody or yeah, whatever that was in it, it, the, the pilot really narrowed and focused in on that, uh, which was interesting. Uh, Hulk on TV couldn't speak. Uh, or was that, Lou <laughs> or was Ferrigno? it that they didn't want Lou Ferrigno speaking? Maybe not. I don't know. He, by the way, saw him at the Salt Lake city comic con. He was just talking to some people. He is one of the, well, first of all, he looks like he hasn't aged. He looks amazing. Mm -hmm. This big, strong, handsome dude. And he is so fun to listen, talk to fans. He was the nicest guy. And I I was just sort of out of, just sort of earshot. I have heard tales though. Mm. And maybe he's no longer like this. Maybe he's gotten over it, but he used to be very protective of images being taken of him. Like if someone would snap a picture, he would, there are stories of him chasing after people saying, no, you can't take a picture of me for free. Oh, dude, get it. I would get the hell out of there if that was the case. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Can you imagine that? I don't know. Maybe it's not true. Well, anyway, I think he was fine in this. Whatever the makeup and the the the, and the stuff, the green coming off his skin all the time. It's 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 real bad. But I remember at the time being truly, actually, kind of terrified of this guy. Yeah. Also, even the grunts and growls were not Lou Ferrigno. They they hired Ted Cassidy, who also reads the opening narration, by the way, to do the voice of the Hulk. Really? Wow. Uh, Yeah. I have a I have a clip of that. Do you want to hear a little clip? Sounds like he's burping to me. So it sounds like he just yeah, it's, yeah. it's like Bigfoot just ate a deer. Listen to this. <laughs> That's Ted Cassidy after lunch, and they're like, "Perfect, <laughs> That's perfect, Ted, perfect, Mister Cassidy." And Cass- of course, uh, sadly, Cassidy died in January 1979 and was replaced in the grunting department by Charles Napier. Uh, they kept the other guy's uh, narration though, didn't they? First yeah, I want to say yes. That felt that really iconic and, and consistent to me. I don't think, I, don't, I feel like that never changed, but maybe it did. The uh, series theme music that you were mentioning is yeah. called The Lonely Man, composed by Joseph Harnell. It's uh, one of the classic sad piano tunes that always come, accompanies Banner as he's hiking out at the end of every episode. And they even uh, echoed a portion of that song in the 2008 movie. I remember that. I remember him having a backpack. And doing the, a little bit of the walk, and I went, "Oh my gosh, they're gonna do it!" And then they played the music, and nice little sad. Yeah, yeah. that was a nice nod. I think I like that. 
Now we've heard Susan Sullivan, the character Susan Sullivan, yes. uh, or, uh, the actor Susan Sullivan, a couple of times in the show already. She ended up going on to Falcon Crest fame, mm. and 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 be- this was sort of a, one of her early big breaks. Though she's Dr. Elena Marks in the pilot. She was. Do you a, remember her on Falcon? Crest? I don't, but I remember her very specifically on the '90s era comedy Dharma and Greg. She played Greg, ah, yeah. Greg's mother, yeah. I want to say, and she was fantastic in that. Uh, really, really funny. Uh, a real good comedic turn. But yeah, I mean, as soon as I saw her come on screen, I went, oh, familiar face. She's been in a thousand things. And uh, But Falcon Crest was never, you know, primetime soaps. Not my thing in the 80s. Didn't really do it for me. I, I remember was, Falcon Crest, I think, had a Merit family in it. So my mom watched it. Oh, wow. Wait, but, someone related to you guys was in there. No, it was just, you know, they used the no. name. <laughs> That was enough for her. Like they, they, one of the families in Falcon Crest. I might even be remembering that I wrong. That. I remember my mom watched Falcon Crest. Uh, we're all used to Stan Lee appearing, yeah. as he did in the recent Thor movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jack Kirby also, they both did, uh, made cameo appearances in the series. Kirby's cameo was in season two episode No Escape. Uh, Lee appeared as a juror in Trial of the Incredible Hulk. Hulk, excuse me, the that was the 1989 post-series TV movie. Oh, wow. So Kirby made made appearance in the first run. Stan Lee had to wait until the NBC version. Now, having not seen Trial of the Incredible Hulk, is it possible that they actually put the Hulk on a stand and then questioned him? Did that happen? Because I'm into that. <laughs> I don't remember. I don't, and in fact, I'm not even sure I ever saw it, to be honest. That was also the other weird disconnect. Did you or did you not smash? Don't <laughs> smash. I just remember, I remember, you know, reading the comics as a kid and then the show never had him speak. It was all, you know, yeah. burping and grunting. <laughs> it was all like that. And I never. Where were you on the <laughs> night of the 31st? I never, um, I never, you know, in the books, he was always saying short words and phrases and things that were all yeah. very, you know, shortened and whatever without, he didn't have very good I diction, there- but. Aren't there some storylines where he gets a little verbose and then others he goes back to just... I don't remember. I just remember the one where he threw... Was it... It was him versus Bigfoot or something? Mm -hmm. Do you remember that one? No, I don't. The Hulk fought Bigfoot. It's kind of their jump on the shark moment. Um, and I love these in, in these old, like when the Dukes, the Dukes of Hazard had to, uh, found an alien and it rode around in the, in the general Lee with him. It's like that. There was this fight, I think with a bear and there was some point where he threw a bear across the forest and then the Bigfoot was there. And I, I don't know. What wow. Was. And there's the Yeti in there too. It looks like. Yeah. I love I that, that stuff, copy man. Cheesy, cheesy, good stuff. All <laughs> right. It's uh, it's banner time, everybody. Yeah. Well, yeah. Reputation's a very important thing. Uh, I won't bother you since you're uh, otherwise involved. Hmm. Yes. Wow. That that guy was VO'd or he was um, post like voiceovered a lot. Uh, he hardly ever said any of his lines. ADR, I believe. Is ADR the, is the correct industry term. term. Indeed. Jack, for Jack, what happened to Jack Colvin? No disrespect to Jack Colvin, but I absolutely despise that character more than I remembered. Oh, I hated him. And I, remind, I wrote this in my notes too. And it's good. This is a good point to talk about this. Uh, he is the epitome of the thing that seemed to be going on in the 70s, and I don't know what it was about or why people had so much animosity. I feel like it's actually coming back in a big way, but so much animosity toward reporters. They, they're they they're lumped into that kind of uh, movie plot stereotype that usually is reserved for lawyers and, I don't know, bankers maybe. And for whatever reason, back then, man, if you're a reporter... It, it, it couldn't possibly be true that he's just there to get an interview or he's just there to to get to I'm the just doing truth. my job. No. Instead, he's a slimy douche. 
Like, do you feel like that was a thing of the era? Well, we'll we'll see it again in uh, Kolchak at the end of this uh, at the end of the season, mm. which is a little earlier in the seventies. But yeah, that is that is a big deal, and I wonder if it has to do with Watergate. Mm. Uh, not that people are saying that Watergate shouldn't have happened because of those nosy reporters, but the idea of reporters kind of sticking their nose in places. However, I mean, here you're t- you're looking at tabloid journalism, right? And I wonder if again, maybe it's less Watergate, maybe it's more. In L.A. at the time, the National Enquirer and and papers like that were really beginning that paparazzi feel, and we still have that today with TMZ and, and Drudge. You mm-hmm. know that that it's that kind of reporter that they're depicting in these things. These guys stick their heads in and go, "Hey, I need to, I got a, I got a question." They're like I don't, have, you know, we were not taking any questions. Too bad. Here's my question. You know, there's like a weird, forceful press that was just looked at looked at so negatively like if you you could have switched the music around and not had him smirk so so much and you would have been in a different area you'd have been proud of this guy's you know gumshoe work he's doing trying to track down this big green hulk but instead he just becomes like the darth vader of the entire series he's the thing that drives him from town to town um i don't know if it works the dial i think it annoys me more than it works it may have worked then but i think culturally i just am in a different place now and so when i see that i just like oh dude why are you here you know, it's a really good point because Susan Sullivan is a very believable character. And in fact, you know, at least for the 70s, uh, not not too, not too backwards. You know, she's right. a strong woman. There's a donut line in there and stuff like that that we've heard. Sure. Uh, but, but mostly a believable character. Bill Bixby, David Banner is a believable character. But Jack Colvin's character, McGee, just does not, uh, does not endure, does not wear well. No. You expect uh, him to twist his mustache at any time. and Yeah, he just seems really flat. <laughs> I'll find and, out the truth. Yeah, that kind of yeah exactly. And it's like, well, what's really motivating this guy to do this? Like, he's totally just a foil. Yeah. And maybe, maybe uh, I don't know. I don't remember being as annoyed back then. And like you say, maybe that's just because of the era. But maybe the character gets a little less annoying through the series. I don't know. Could be. The show itself, we talked about this a bit earlier, but the show itself is is interesting in how many, um, or how much it decided to make this story their own, this TV show to be its own universe, not connected to any other kind of Marvel property, not really a hero. It's it's more of a disease. And yeah. you you root for him, but you're it's not the same as rooting for the Hulk in these new movies where, you know, there's some humanity in there and you and he's actually taking orders from Captain America. And these things are these things are way more about the comics. This is more about, I've got this Frankenstein monster, this Jekyll and Hyde piece of business that's happening to me every time I get mad. And uh, they, you know, to focus entirely on his desire to know why he couldn't lift the car and then that turning into this mistake, uh, this, this accident, and then you know the rest of the series dealing with him doing villain of the week where it's like, ah, the, I'm in this new town and that lady needs help and boom, I'm the Hulk and now I saved her and now the bad guys are going to try to kill me and then I'm going to throw them across the yard and now I'm going to walk with that music going with my backpack on. It was pretty much the same thing. Oh, and the reporter showed up at the last minute so I got to get out of here. Right. That was the same cookie cutter thing. Apparently though, plenty of people were fine with it. It was always high rated. People watched the show. There was a number of seasons. It's not like they canceled after five episodes. Like, for whatever reason, it spoke to the collective television, you know, culture of the time, like shows do to us today. And it and spoke to them in a way that made sense. So I... I just not sure why that was or why it held, you know, well, cuz I don't the know procedural if procedural was the norm back then. Right. Right? It wasn't like this this sticks out, out to us now cuz we're used to 
Lost and Alias and uh, Haven. I know Haven's a bad example because I'm the only person on Earth that watches it. My but, wife you know, loves like, Haven, by the way. We're used to these story arc yeah. adventures. Even Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. with its Monster of the Week has a, has a story arc. Fringe. We look at The Incredible Hulk, we kind of expect that. But back then, that would have been exceptional. Right. Uh, back then, the Monster of the Week was the way you did television. That's the way everybody did television, unless you were Dynasty or Falcon Crest. Or well, something. in a way, they kind of broke a little bit of a ground because they did have the running threads of the reporter, yeah. of the town-to-town business, of the whole overarching sort of, I need to find a cure for my Hulk problem. The, those those running threads were were unusual at the time because at the time, it was more like, you know, you, you found out that Michael Knight had a car. His name was Kit. He could talk. But there was no carryover, really. It was just... You knew the character in the car, but the next week it was a totally different adventure. And the next week, yeah, completely he was keeping the unconnected. Secret. Yeah, the, the, the only car- the only arc was like, will someone discover who Michael Knight really is? Yeah, it's like start uh, the original Star Trek was that way, and they they broke from that some later on. But for the most part, that's how you'd see it go. And uh, I mean, I'd have to watch more episodes to see if things. Some of those tropes got better or easier to watch or whatever because it's been ages since I've seen any of this Hulk stuff. But as it stands right now, I just it's maybe one of the least least hold up things I remember as a kid. That's so funny. I, I felt it held up better than I expected. Mm. And, I, and I'm not saying that you're wrong about the weaknesses in it because I saw those, too. Sure. But I think I expected it to be a lot more boring. And uh, and it wasn't. Yeah. I was I was I was into it. I was like, you know what? This is this is not bad. This these characters are not as shallow ex- with McGee being the exception as as I expected them to be. And I felt like there was a little element of the Hulk we saw in the Avengers movie in there where mm-hmm. David Banner, in this case, fears the monster and is afraid of what it will do to those he loves. And 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 that's what sets him out on the road at the end of the uh, end of the pilot is he wants to figure out how to get rid of it, right. not use it. But then he finds that, well, sometimes it is useful. And all of those elements are there in Bruce Banner's character in the movie. Sure. It's a different, it's an entirely different packaging of them, but those, you know, those underpinnings are consistent. Yeah, I think it's all right. The transitions between Bixby and Ferrigno are better than I remember them being. I remember, yeah, I thought they were cheesier. Great, than, they're okay. But yeah, I was like, this is going to be a dissolve, right? right? And I'm like, oh, no, there's a little right. like, there's like a they, weird they tearing and like, his, yeah. you know, the way his back would roll up and his shirt would tear. Mm-hmm. They put some and they thought into that. they a little face work, you know, a little little anim i don't know if it was stop motion or what it was but you saw some bubbly face yeah also that weird that crazy forehead and those those brows that yeah extended brows that all got lessened over the uh the show's run uh, i saw some pictures from later seasons and it's not nearly as pronounced it just didn't have the budget it's anymore like caveman we can't afford any more forehead uh anything like else forehead. anything else strike you as uh worthy of uh discussion on what happened well you know the other thing that i noticed here and this ties into kolchak as well we'll talk about in a couple episodes from now is that frankenstein carryover yeah that they they don't hit you over the head with it as much but that that part where she he goes down to the to the lake yeah. and the girl's there and he kind of sneaks up behind her and he's the big green monster and wants to help and she turns around and is afraid and then yeah. it's not a village it's just her dad that comes after him but th- there's definitely they're definitely playing on that frankenstein trope yeah in this on on purpose and i think that was a a, a ploy to help people feel familiar if they were not familiar with the comic books i always wonder if that because you see it in everything now like anytime there's someone's a freak of some sort it, they the frankenstein thing happens yeah and i always wonder if mary shelley really truly originated that 
idea or you know i always look i always like the the root the roots of all our are of all the all stories that we tell i like you know the luke skywalkers of the world mm-hmm. that's a told a trillion times over it's the arthur story it's a billion other stories but like i love the idea of where these things first happen and why they endure the way they do or like what is it that makes them so standard that they just permeate all stories like every story we ever get you can pretty much narrow down to like five or six of these big long-running tropes that have been around for recorded history and i just i find that fascinating that we're a so drawn to it and b the people who create this stuff are so drawn to you know, working these characters in the way they do and, and using these same, these same storylines. It's crazy to me. It's a little bit like the Beowulf story, except told from Grendel's point of view. <laughs> and Grendel has more conscience. People who don't remember in the, in the actual saga, Grendel has some reasons why right. Grendel does what right. Grendel does. Uh, and I think Mary Shelley kind of tapped into that a little bit. She certainly modernized it though. Yeah. She brought science into it. She became, she made this science fiction yeah. With Frankenstein. Yeah. And I and so I think she reset. You're right. I mean, a monster that's like, oh, but it's it's partly human. That that's certainly not a new story. But the way she told it was new. Yeah. And the and the village dynamics, sure. uh, uh, the way that played into it. The other thing I'd like to say, Scott, is this pilot, I think, is a great <laughs> indicator of why we have seatbelt laws. Because <laughs> frankly, <laughs> David Banner's wife's wearing a seatbelt. None of this happens. This is so true. Actually, now that I think about it, if David Banner had been wearing a seatbelt, then they both would have died right. and none of this would happen. But I, still. I yeah. agree. I watched that. every. Well, some of these recent ones we've been watching, they all kind of I got this, thrown from the car and I was safe. What? Like, what are you doing? How did you do that, man? And nobody yeah. wears seatbelts. Nobody. No. I don't remember. Before seatbelt laws. It's crazy. Anyway. I remember when the seatbelt laws came around and people said, well, now I can't get thrown from the car and be safe. And now I know why they thought that was possible because they watched The Incredible Hole. That's insane. All right. You ready for rap party? Let's wrap it. All right. Here we go. It's time to rap, everybody. Sounded more like the jolly green giant. I wouldn't call him too jolly. No, I wouldn't. Product placement. Ah, see? Go buy Eat your peas. Um, yeah. Bill Bigsby. So I had a lot of... I like these rap parties because it's a chance for me to go hunt down weird stuff and find something, you know, some strange tangential connected thing. And uh, I decided to focus on Bill Bixby because I find him kind of fascinating. He was an interesting guy and did a lot of other work, directorial stuff. Like I mentioned, he he literally did direct uh, dozens of Blossom episodes, which is a strange thing before his death. But he was involved in a lot of different things, a lot of different causes. And it turns out he hosted a television special that was out yeah. to prove that Elvis was not dead, that Elvis was alive and well. well. This is like um, when uh, Riker, uh, who's the guy? Playing? Yeah. Why I can't think? Why can't I think? Uh, uh, Jonathan Frakes. When Frakes hosted the alien autopsy. Thing. Yes. Yes. Very similar to that. That would be a great modern day example of that. Although you get the impression, and I remember seeing this Bigsby thing when it aired. I have very, really vague memories of it because I used to be fascinated by like, Paul is dead from the Beatles or yeah, yeah, yeah. those kinds of things used to just get me. But um, the, the difference I think now is I feel like Frakes was literally just paid to do a gig. Whereas this, this one felt like Bixby was into it, man. Like he was like buying it. He wanted to be in front of this. He was sure Elvis was alive. At least that's the impression I had then. And I still kind of had it now after watching a bunch of it on YouTube. So I found a clip. Uh, it's just a small thing, but this is uh, an early part of this special where Bill Bixby uh, puts out the uh, the idea, at least the theory, 
that Elvis is still with us. Elvis Presley was a legend, beloved by millions. But the circumstances surrounding his death have been shrouded in mystery. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Hello and welcome to the Elvis Files. Now, the stage was Elvis Presley's second home. He spent much of his life performing live to millions of his adoring fans. But we're here to look at another side of Elvis. F. Scott Fitzgerald once said, the test of a first-rate intelligence is the ability to hold two opposing ideas in one's mind at the same time. Well, that's what we're asking you to do. Now, I'm sure if we took a hand vote, most of us believe that Elvis Presley passed away August 16, 1977. Would you raise your hands? All right. Now, may we see hands for those who think that Elvis may be alive. Very interesting. Thank yeah, you. So what happened is, I saw this, to give you a little visual, almost the entire audience raised their hand both times. Uh, so it was all very mysterious. <gasps> leads me to believe that maybe Elvis. And so they started showing that weird picture of him sitting in a, in a, in a house or the old Graceland house or whatever. And it, it looks like kind of a fat Vegas Elvis through a window. And that was taken, that picture was taken after his death. So they were like inspecting that and looking for ways to prove that it was a hoax or uh, disprove the hoax. And, I'm thinking, man, if this is the Photoshop era, this would be real easy to disprove. And I had a ball watching it. <laughs> so, so I recommend people go check it out. It's uh, just search for Elvis and Bill Bixby and boom, YouTube has you covered with the entirety of that, that weird series. Uh, but there you go. That's, uh, that's our, you know, what I learned from that is that F. Scott Fitzgerald said the thing about holding two opposing views because I thought there was a Mark Twain post oh, or quote. It would have been like more that. snarky at the end. I looked it up, though. It's Fitzgerald in Esquire magazine in 1936 who wrote that. Oh, wow. All right. See, we did learn something today. But maybe Mark Twain said something similar and Fitzgerald was kind of... Twain would have said, two points come together. People are dumbasses. And they'd walk away. Throw down the mic and walk away. Because he, <laughs> right, he, exactly. he had a way of uh, putting us in our place. Uh, here's what I learned from this episode. <laughs> All right, everybody, that's going to do it for the Incredible Hulk episode of Autopilot. Next week, T.J. Hooker, William Shatner, and his second appearance. Well, not really. We never did do, we did the Cage pilot last season, or first season, which had nothing to do with Shatner. Oh, right. Uh, that's true. Huh? But so we have not had a Shatner episode of any sort. About we darn time. Saved it for T.J. Hooker. We actually had, that was actually donated to us. Ooh, I should remember who did that. So I give him credit. T.J., I'm going to look it up real quick. T.J. Hooker was sent to us from Greg. And uh, I want to thank Greg Osborne is his name. Uh, I want to thank him for that because that gave us a pilot to a show I had given very little attention to at the time, and I have a lot to say about it now. So stay tuned next week. TJ Hooker right here on Autopilot Show. All right. You can find us on the web in the meantime. Autopilotshow.com is the email address. Oh, gosh, what else? You can email us autopilotshow at gmail.com. We love your feedback. Also, leave us comments on the blog. We like those. It's always fun to hear what you guys are thinking. Follow us on Twitter. You can follow me at Scott Johnson, Tom at Ace Detect, and the show at Autopilot Show. It's going to do it for us, for me, for Tom, and for the rest of us here at Autopilot Central. We'll see you next time. Autopilot smash. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
podcast is part of the Frog Pants Studios Network. For more information about this and other shows, visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there.